Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast, brought to you by Telefunken Electroacoustic. Telefunken Electroacoustic has been following the tradition of excellence and innovation set forth by the original Telefunken GmbH of Germany that began over 100 years ago. With one foot rooted in the rich history of the brand and the other in new microphone innovations for both stage and studio applications, Telefunken Electroacoustic is recognized as one of the industry leaders in top quality microphones. For more info, go to tfunk.com. This episode is also brought to you by Fascination Street Mastering Studios. Have your songs mastered by Jens Bogrian and Tony Lindgren, the engineers that mastered bands like Opeth, Dimu Borgir, Arch Enemy, Creator, Sepultura, Amana Marth, and many more by using the coupon code URM18 in the online mastering configurator. You'll receive a 15% discount on your order. The code is valid for the rest of the year. Visit www.fascinationstreet.se to learn more and book your mastering session today. And now your host, A.L. Levy. Welcome to the URM Podcast. I am A.L. Levy, and I just want to tell you that this show is brought to you by URM Academy, the world's best education for rock and metal producers. Every month on Nail the Mix, we bring you one of the world's best producers to mix a song from scratch from artists like Lamb of God, Meshuggah, Periphery, The Day to Remember, Bring Me the Horizon, Opeth, many, many more. And we give you the raw multi-tracks so you can mix along. You'll also get access to MixLab, our collection of bite-sized mixing tutorials, and Portfolio Builder, which are pro-quality multi-tracks that are cleared for use in your portfolio. You can find out more at NailTheMix.com. Also, I want to take a second to tell you about something I'm very, very excited about, and it's the URM Summit. Once a year, we hold an event where hundreds of producers from all over the world come together for four days of networking, workshops, seminars, and of course, hanging out. You know, this industry is all about relationships, and think about it. What could you gain from getting to personally know your peers from all over the world who have the same goals as you, the same struggles as you, and who can not only help you with inspiration and motivation, but also with potential professional collaborations? I've seen a lot of professional collaborations come from the summit in the past. And speaking of networking and relationships, there's no other event where you'll get to learn from and hang out with some of the very best in the production business. I mean, you could go to something like NAM, but good luck getting more than five minutes with your hero. At this, you actually will get to hang out, like hang out, hang out. And just a few of this year's instructors are Andrew Wade, Kerpaloo, Blasco, Taylor Larson, Billy Decker, Canyon Kevin Cherko, Jesse Cannon, and more. Seriously, this is one of the best and most productive events you will ever go to. So if that sounds like something that's up your alley, go to urmsummit.com to find out more. On this episode of the podcast, I've got my old friend, Mr. Mike Bowery. And we have an interesting relationship. I think that his relationship and mine really does, it really does bring home or encapsulate that cliche about how the music industry is the most relationship-driven industry in the world. Our friendship sums it up quite perfectly. And if you don't know who he is, let me give you a brief introduction. He's the president and managing partner of Outer Loop Management, which he started with Jeff Cohen in 2004. He's managed quite a few important bands over the years, like 
periphery and we came as Romans. He's always got something new started, is involved in different conferences. He started the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. He's got a podcast with Blasco, Go Managemental. He's just one of these guys that's always doing stuff. He also sells online courses on music business stuff. They're actually quite good. He's going to be coming to speak at the summit. The man does a lot of stuff and I've known him for quite a long time. I first met him when he came by my old studio, the my house part of it, when Carnifex was recording. Um, I was just assistant engineer on that one. Then it was during the drums, so the drums were taking place in my house. And this guy, Mike Mowry, the famous Mike Mowry, came in, and he did not give me the time of fucking day. Thanks, Mike. And I think I met him again on a Carnifex record or something like that. And dude just, you know... Maybe he gave me two seconds of the day, something like that. But hey, that's how it goes. As time went by and the years went by, we kept on bumping into each other again and again and again until now he gives me all the time in the world, all day, every day is Mike Mowry day. No, I'm kidding. Um, He calls me and I answer. I call him and he answers. We actually talk about non-business stuff. We'll have deeply personal conversations saying, what are you wearing? I'll say, I don't know. What are you wearing? I'm totally kidding. But we've become real friends is the point. And now that we've become real friends, it's very easy to do business together and to say no to each other about business things we don't want to do together. We can be very, very forward with each other. We can get murderously angry with each other. And then everything is cool because we're friends. And that's part of what helps the music industry survive, I think, is that you can have a friendship. You can call each other at 11 p.m. at night. You can have what you think is the best idea in the world and either the person's going to go with you or they're not. And you could disagree and get mad at them or you could not. But the point is all that'll happen. And the next day your friendship will still be intact. And that's a very, very special thing. And that's something that I have with just about all of my music industry friends. And I think that that's pretty unique to, I guess, at least creative industries, just this 24-7 ideas at all times. Got to be able to shoot down your friends. Got to be ready to go to battle with your friends. But when you get up in the morning, you're still buddies. Like, that's a very unique thing to the music industry. And I think it takes some getting used to, but I love it. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. But more importantly, how do you even get in to those circles in the first place to where you can have those relationships That comes through networking. And you can do that either right or you can do it wrong. There are many more ways to do it wrong than right. So we're going to talk about that. So without further ado, I present you Mike Mowry. All right. So Mike Mowry, welcome back to the Unstoppable Recording Machine podcast. How's life in LA? Dude, it's doing well. Thanks for having me back. You know, I'm a huge fan of what you guys do and always enjoy talking to you. I think we could probably uh, we could probably just record most of our phone calls and have some of the beds podcasts out there, you know? <laughs> I actually think that's true, though. I don't know. I could get in trouble for some of the shit we talk about. Well, you do edit them, Still, right? <laughs> I do agree with you. Yeah, we do edit them. Nah, but life's good in LA. I'm uh, recently transplanted out here. don't know how long that will be for, but um, 
I don't know when this podcast will air. Got a lot going on with uh, one of our artists, Ice Nine Kills, at the moment. Um, the record release is October 5th, which is a whole bunch of stuff leading up to it. Um, you know, labels out here, attorneys out here, agents out here, singers out here. Might as well have the manager out here as well. You know what I'm saying? All you, all you guys out there in uh, we call the managemental audience loyal listener land. So I'm just going to use that because uh, I feel like we've got some overlapping audience. So all of you loyal listeners out there of the URM podcast, just remember it's all about relationships. It is. Though I got to say something because, I, I mean, it is true. It is all about relationships. And I try to tell people that all the time and I take it really seriously. But this idea that you can never burn any bridges at all like, there's this idea out there that if you burn a single bridge, you're fucked for life. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Like, and I don't, but I, I, I can probably guess, and I'm sure I can talk on it, because I can pretty much talk on anything you allow me to. Okay, well, I know quite a few people who are very wise, actually, who told me that a lot coming up. But the thing is, I think that that's easier said than done. Like, if you're going to go through the world and not be a pushover... At some point, you're going to burn some bridges. And I just want people to know that while you should never try to do it, sometimes you will. You can't salvage every single relationship on earth. It's impossible. And you shouldn't feel like your life is over just because something didn't work out. Like there's always, there's always a path to success if you want one. And you don't need, you don't need every single relationship you've ever had to be on you know, a positive A plus rating at all times. Like it's just not possible. It's a nice thing to say. And uh, it's a nice ideal to strive for. But in reality, in this nasty world we live in, it's just not possible. So I just felt like saying that because we are going to talk about, we're going to talk about the importance of relationships. But I want people to remember that life is not over if you fuck up or some are just not meant to last. I mean, I'm trying to find the Madball lyric where, I'm pretty sure it's Madball, where he says, you know, a wise man once said to me, my son, something about never backing down from anyone. And here it is. Don't you ever back down to no one. Uh, Show no fear is the, is the song. And I think that what you're saying is perfect for a black and white world, but we live in a world full of gray. In fact, the light, our world is almost entirely made up of gray. And therefore, I think it's all about your intentions and how you handle yourself in the event that something is done wrong. The thing that I have learned, and it's taken me a really, really, really long time to learn this in life, is it's all about what you can control, right? So if you go into a situation with the best intentions and someone else interprets it as something other than that, and in fact, your best intentions may lead to something that is negative for people, that does happen, you know, and I don't want to get too deep into it, but it could be your best intention to have your best intentions, um, but that's getting a little meta. The idea is- No, I get it though. You can only control- what you can control. You can't take ownership of how someone interprets what you say. You can't take ownership of how something falls out in a business relationship based on something that, yes, maybe you've done. Maybe you've tried to put something together and inevitably the whole thing fell apart. And because you tried to bring someone in, it affected their life, right? As long as you're willing to acknowledge that you went at it, giving it your best shot, recognizing that you might have to learn some things 
and be a little humble and, and try, not try better the next time, but educate yourself so your best intention sets things up for the better. And lastly, I'm huge on this because sadly, I've offended a lot of people throughout my career, not even knowing that I was doing so. Just, yeah, I mean, look, I'm rambunctious. I'm very passionate about my artists. Sometimes I let that get the best of me. So I go and if I burned a bridge, I acknowledge it and apologize. What I can't control is whether or not someone on the other side actually is interested in hearing what I have to say in that apology or, you know, allowing for my apology to actually uh, resolve whatever the, you know, challenging component was. Sometimes they will be, sometimes they won't be. Yeah. I mean, I just don't think you can go in with a, you know, you can't just go into obliterate everyone, right? You can't just say, what, well, fuck you, whatever I do, I don't care what the consequences are. I wouldn't recommend that. I also wouldn't recommend that like you have to please everyone and you have to tiptoe around people. And I think the beauty of relationships is in that gray, in the balance there. Well, you know, I think there's something else about what you said about things sometimes not working out. Sometimes, man, it's nothing that anybody did wrong. You've got two sets of pretty good people on both sides, but sometimes there are just conflicting interests. And at the end of the day, those conflicting interests just can't be reconciled. And it's not because one person is evil and the other person is good, or one person is a scumbag and the other person is like, you know, this pillar of righteousness. Sometimes it just is an issue of conflicting interests that are incompatible. Yeah. I mean, what I found, what I found a lot of on my way up, you know, and I'm still climbing, I'm still crawl, you know, scratching and clawing to, to get to the best place that, that I'm hoping that I can be. I find that oftentimes when we're fighting over a slice of pizza, things go wrong. We end up at odds because we see it as, oh my God, there's one slice left or there's only one slice available. And, you know, fuck bro, we're both hungry. You want a slice, I want a slice, we're scrapping over it. Inevitably, what you find is usually <laughs> each of us can have our own pizza. And that starts with, Instead of fighting over that piece of pizza, trying to figure out how whoever needs the pizza the most, whether it's split evenly on that given day or that given month or that given year, or whether or not, you know, somebody needs it more that day, knowing that you can help each other get to the point where you've each got your own pizzas. I think that's sort of the beauty. And that would be something I realize it's a relatively vague metaphor. I've got so many great friends now in this business who we fought over the dumbest shit. It's not because we weren't going at it with the best intentions. It's that we sadly couldn't envision a world where we each had more, a world of abundance. And abundance can exist and it can exist in this business. I think URM is a fucking amazing example of abundance that came about because without knowing the full story, people weren't fighting over a piece of pizza any longer. You guys have created not only a pizza, you've created an entire restaurant, you know, that is giving jobs to the servers, to the waiters, you know, to the hostess, to the bartenders, to the suppliers that bring in the food. Like it's such a thriving thing that frankly, I mean, you tell me 15, 20 years ago, you're fighting over pieces of pizza. Thank you for saying that. I actually think that when we started, there were people who felt like our existence was taking their pizza, which I don't think it ever was. And to this day, I don't think it is. 
But there were people who felt that way. So that was part of something that we had to break out of, which I think by now we pretty much successfully have. I don't think people really see it that way anymore too much. Well, change is such a threatening thing, right, in any place. I mean, look at Spotify, you know, some of our biggest and best friends of, you know, and whether it's Spotify, I don't even like to call it, look at streaming. It's just, you know, you guys, frankly, you know, you're visionaries. And, you know, or at least that's the way I view it from the outside. You took this thing and said, wow, I mean, let's use this vision to show everyone that, yes, there can be more. And so in that place where, especially the haves, I'm not to say that you guys were the have nots because especially knowing you and of course, Joey, you guys, you know, you surely weren't the have nots. He's a lot more of a have than I was when it comes to production. Yeah, I, I guess Ultimately, it doesn't surprise me that there were detractors from what you were doing because what you were doing was different. And disruption is a scary thing. We've lived in a time where disruption is the norm. I don't remember exactly when you guys started, but if it was anything more than three years ago, disruption was still a relatively new thing. 2015. So we're right about that time. You know, we're going, we're here. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense that people were fearful of, frankly, you taking pizza out of their oven or whatever the metaphor needs to be. Here's a precursor to all of it, which was Creative Live. When I was doing all the Creative Live episodes with Finn. And then I would, I would help him recruit people. Like I got him in touch with Joey, um, introduced him to lots of people who then went on Creative Live. And out of me and him doing the Creative Live thing, I got the idea, why should I be doing this for a company? Why not start my own? But yeah, so kind of since 2013. But I think this all ties back to the relationship thing, because in doing this thing, which I view as super positive, we did have to lose a few relationships along the way. And that's okay. Kind of back to what I said originally is you should try to maintain them all, but you can't always. And back to what you said too, you can't control how other people are going to interpret what you do. So you can have the best of intent. And I feel like we do have the best of intent, but we can't control how everybody is going to see that. And if we were to stop ourselves based on somebody not liking us or the you know, the possibility that maybe our friendship is going to be damaged by doing this thing. Would we ever progress? Probably not. Time is is an incredible thing. And you may have some detractors now, some haters now, some bridges that are seemingly burned now. But the beauty is, you know, there's been gorges that have had bridges come, you know, tumbling down only to have them rebuilt. And just because somebody doesn't see it now or because of the way that a relationship's been handled now doesn't mean that those people might not come back around, which I know you know. I mean, what's been so incredible to me is to watch some of the relationships in my life. I'll give a perfect example. You know, we came as Romans. The singer Kyle Pavone, you know, just passed away recently. And that was one of my very first, I mean, that was my client that I had, you know, arguably the most success with from when their young manager at the time brought them into me and and I brought him into my company and we grew the band and, and frankly, we did it the right way. And, you know, sadly, when they left the company, you know, I was, you know, I was devastated and I was also very defensive and it wasn't good. It wasn't good for anyone and certain members of the band I, I continued to, to have a relationship with and others it just didn't work. You know, you take a tragic event like this and you put me in a place where I'm more mature. I can't comment on whether or not they're more mature, but they're surely older. And it's just one of those where you realize life's too short to fucking carry a grudge, 
have resentment, any of that stuff. And as much as I feel like I know so much about relationships, I'm ever and always learning more and more about them each and every day. I mean, look, even you and I, uh, we're not on the same page every single day, right? I'll say something in jest. You'll interpret it as, you know, whatever. You'll throw something back at me. I'll be like, Jesus Christ, why is that also sensitive? (laughs) You know, but we can talk it out, right? You can say, hey, this is why I want you to not say X, Y, and Z. And I can say- I still bought your Summit plane flight before anybody else, FYI. (laughs) Great. (laughs) I I do appreciate that. I, I mean, just, you know, when it comes down to it, no matter what happens, I think the end result is you know where people stand based on their actions right. towards each other. Even if we squabble sometimes via text or something, where really the real measure is the action that's actually taken. Finn and I do this too, man. We're such good friends that there are times, man, when we are murderously angry at each other. He will say things sometimes that I literally want to fucking kill him. But five five minutes later, we're looking at Golden Retriever videos. I was going to say, hold on. Finn must have that relationship with everybody. No, I'm kidding. Uh, (laughs) Well, I think, I mean. He feels that way about me too, I guarantee I mean, I think it's interesting to me. If I think about my relationships as like a kid on a playground, I mean, I moved around every two years. My dad was in the military. And my parents would send you out and say, you know, go make friends. And inevitably... The history of my relationships is I'd show up to the playground or wherever it is, the soccer field or on a skateboard and kind of pick a fight with the fucking other cool kid because I envisioned myself as being cool, right? Probably wasn't. Hopefully none of my high school or junior high friends are. Oh, dude, you're really cool. Thank you. That, that, that was what I was fishing for. Um, don't worry. The tip jar. Gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen listening at home, there's a tip jar somewhere on here. Give AL a tip, please. <laughs> but, you know, to me, it, it's one of those where... In my business career as well, I kind of spar. And I think that's probably what happens with you and Finn. I know it's what happens with me and Finn and with me and you is inevitably, you know, we'll have a debate. It might not be framed in the most productive manner, right? It might be sometimes I think I've framed things in ways that aren't as constructive. It's almost like a jab or a joust as opposed to maybe a a better way to present things, but inevitably we continue to get along and, and, and work with one another because there's a mutual respect. I know, you know, your shit, right? So if I'm going to pick your shit apart in a way that I'm seeing it differently, it's not coming from a, wow, these guys are fucking idiots. It's coming from a man. I think what you're doing is so fucking cool. Let me show you how I can, I can actually think it's even cooler right? And that's just from the seat I'm in. You're sitting there, whether you take that advice or not, doesn't matter. You're probably getting it from 60 other people because every one of us that's had any modicum of success in this goddamn business thinks we know everything. Isn't that the truth? Tip jar still open, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. (laughs) Well, I mean, look, when you put, when you put an idea out there that someone should do something differently than they're doing it, you know, they don't have to agree, but that doesn't mean you have to not be friends. Totally. No, completely. And I think that, you know, being able to, to, to define the line between those two, I mean, you know, one thing that I hate is the idea, especially in this business, that sometimes it's just business, you know, because to me, I've never approached it that way. I've approached it from a, in fact, the business part of it is almost the, it's almost like the, 
necessary evil. Man, you want to know something? When people say that to me, like, it infuriates me because it's not just business. Like, the people, I find people, at, at least in this line of work, I understand if maybe in an accounting firm it's just something's just business. But uh, in this line of work, I find that when people say it's just business, what they really are saying, I was just a total fucking asshole, but you better take it. Well, and it's not always that way. I mean, there are times when things are just business, right? There's not times when it's just business. There's times where the business decision must outweigh the personal relationship. Right. I've been, I've been, I've been on the receiving side of that. And in the moment it fucking hurt me because to me, I, I put the personal part of it in front of the business side. In fact, that's why I think, uh, you know, not to toot my own horn. There's few of us that have consistently been able to do what I do, which is take artists from a place of pretty much anonymity uh, to, to, you know, relatively, Main, I don't even know if mainstream is the right word, but to a place of success, right? And that comes because I care more than the numbers show. That said, that's sometimes my mistake. I don't go into it saying, all right, I'm going to invest my heart and soul into you and therefore you need to, to reciprocate. I go in with that intention because that's who I am. Now I'm understanding that not everybody is that way jokes on me, right? I thought that people would either see that and value it, but inevitably that's not what everyone does. Everyone has to make their own decisions in the end. And sometimes people do, they value whatever the dollars are more than whatever the personal relationship is. And I don't necessarily fault them for that, but I do hate the idea that people can use it in a way that I think you described, which is, okay, I'm going to use this term business is business for not just to act like a dickhead, but potentially to do something that maybe should be given more consideration based on the personal relationship and or the history of that relationship. Absolutely. I mean, it, this might just be why I have a negative comment, connotation, with it, but I just remember back a long time ago in one of my first bands ever, I was trying to instill the idea of trying to act more professional, like taking our shit seriously I mean, as seriously as high schoolers could, but <laughs> it was at least trying. Like, I was starting to read business books and watching the professional musicians via my dad, and I was trying to instill this. And the person who I had started the band with, I think he resented it a lot. So he would say horrible things and then just be like, I'm just being professional, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's where I got the idea that so you're not being professional, you're being a dick. There's a big difference here. And so I've started to spot it when people do that. Yeah. What can you do? Exactly. What can you do? <laughs> I mean, yeah, you should, you should just approach it with the best of intent. And there is, I mean, there are times for sure where the business decision does have to outweigh the personal and it sucks. I mean, look, there's plenty of times where, yeah, I mean, there's collateral damage or, you know, someone who is a great person and has had a great long-term relationship can be, you know, a, a liability on the business front. I think in that case, it's so much about how you handle it and how, you know, things go down from there. Typically, you know, what happens is, People want to use that to take advantage of something. And, you know, again, going back to the piece of pizza, it's like, no, this is my piece of pizza. I'm taking it and I'm out the door. 
you know, business is just business. I need to eat. And again, all of this is just from experience. Difficult relationships I've handled gracefully at times and handled the opposite of that at other times. And so much of what I would try to say to your audience is try to respond in things or take proaction instead of reacting. You know, inevitably, if someone comes up to you and says X, pause, understand maybe why they're saying that. How many times have we all like gotten out of a car? We've been stuck in traffic with the first thing we do is run up to someone and be like, God damn it. Why are you, you know, what? And just like, take a deep breath, bro. Life's going to be okay. Person that you're talking to, they have nothing to do <laughs> with the traffic that's out there. Or, you know, the person that was, you know, the barista who was slow at the Starbucks, all the things that like, you know, inevitably make us irritable because we're busy, we're moving, we're quick, da, 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 da. And really that comes back to that bit of control. What is it that you can control in any given situation or relationship? Yeah. I mean, the other thing about being proactive in these types of situations is one thing that I've found out is that usually when there's bad news about to be delivered to me or whatever, if I'm being honest, I saw it coming weeks or months before it happened. And if I was more proactive, this not to say that I could have prevented it, but could have uh, had a slightly more positive outcome Yeah, out of it. I've very, very rarely ever been blindsided. And so to not be blindsided and then to have a negative reaction, that's so stupid. <laughs> it's so stupid, right? It's so stupid. Like if it's something you saw coming, then why are you acting this way? I mean, obviously sometimes our emotions get the better of us. But when we when we have this feeling that something's up, that something needs fixing, that something needs attending to, A, you should ask yourself if you're being paranoid. But if you uh, conclude that you're not being paranoid and then it's real, you should address it long before it becomes something that will potentially, quote unquote, blindside you. My goodness. So if everyone out there just listens to our advice, basically they'll have the perfect lives. Yes, like ours. I was going to say, should we just start by listening and and, and doing the things that we're saying to one another? I try, but man, we're human too. (laughs) Absolutely. No, I mean, all kidding aside, what you're saying is, I think it all makes sense. And, And in fact, so much of what, you know, the wisdom that I'm spouting, if it is indeed wise, is these are the types of things that I have to remind myself of each and every day. Well, the shit's not easy. I mean, we say it like it's easy. It's not easy. Part of why I think it's important to talk about and to have this conversation is because these are simple concepts, but they're not easy concepts at all. When in reality, like when it comes down to it, like when your emotions get triggered and your livelihood is potentially on the line and relationships you've had for years are hanging in the balance, other shit's stressing you out. It's a lot harder to actually do what we're talking about with a level head. It's not as easy as it sounds. So that said, let's talk about the summit some because you're coming, obviously, to talk at the summit and hang out. Second year in a row, my man. Yes, hopefully second of many. The thing that you were going to talk about, you were going to open it, actually, and talk about how to make the most of that experience and how to actually build relationships at an event like that, which, let's face it, most people going are total introverts. They're not necessarily the dudes in the band who want the attention. They're the guys who stay in the dark room and sit behind the computer and make the music. There's a reason for why they're okay to sit in a room 12 hours a day. And it's usually because (laughs) they're avoiding being social. 
But a, an event like this is going to force them to do it. And if they go about it the right way, as we've seen from last year, they can make some very, very major moves in their own career trajectory. Like we've had people who between last year and now are like, you know, they moved to LA, are making a full-time living, like, or have become interns or assistants for like some of our Nail the Mix mixers or have partnered up with other people from the summit and started studios that are doing pretty well. Like all kinds of success stories from the people that actually, you know, went into it and really took bull by the horns in terms of building the relationships. Yeah. I mean, look, I think um, first and foremost, you know, I, not that I think you need an advertisement for the summit, but if somebody is on here checking this out and is hesitant, having gone down and witnessed it firsthand last year, um, I was just so incredibly impressed, not only by, you know, uh, just how it was run and the content, but, but the people the clientele that were there. I think it was, you know, as you stated, it's like, look, these are the people who are absolutely serious about their career. And the way we know that is because it's not the cheapest thing in the world. It's not the most expensive thing in the world, but it's priced at a point where you need to be serious about taking your career to the next level in order to participate. So if you're out there and you're on the fence, I can say, you know, just even for me, meeting so many of uh, the participants in the in the limited amount of time I was there and watching, not even my interaction with them, but just watching how they interact with one another. And that's it. I mean, that's the business part of it to a T. If I go back 30 years, you know, and think about the time that Carl, who runs a, a label called Good Fight, who ran a label called Ferret, he and I were trading tapes, you know, 30 years ago as little hardcore kids, I mean, you guys have that community where you've got people who are 18, 19, 20 years old. And when they're in their mid 40s, they'll be talking about not trading tapes, but they'll be talking about how they traded, you know, insight on how to approach a mix or how to get a client or how to determine whether or not Brian Hood's, you know, six figure studio thing is, you know, is full of it or great advice, you know, and I'm not saying it's either. I'm saying that's, you know, <laughs> jokingly, I'm talking one of the things that was really cool. I thought that was a great part of it. And I thought you guys had a lot of diversity, but you know, ultimately, yeah, I mean, we're talking about me kicking off, you know, the summit with how to make the most of it. And not everybody who's willing to sit in a room for 12 hours means that they're an introvert. Otherwise, Joel. No, true. But he used to be actually. Apparently. I didn't know him then. Yeah, exactly. I didn't know him then either. I guess Russia has that effect on people. <laughs> I'm not sure. He's been brainwashed by Putin to come over here. And uh, all right, we're not getting political people. Um, no, I mean, you know, I, there, there were many, uh, I firsthand witnessed some people who, you know, were shy. They were more introverted. I also met plenty of people who were extroverted. And, you know, what I will say is if you think of not only the summit, but your career as a marathon, not a sprint, you know, sometimes being the extrovert, which is my natural tendency and being the loudest person in the room and being the person that can walk around and talk to 50 people, that is helpful at times. It's also not always helpful right? There is value to being much more calculated in who you're going to talk to, how you're going to talk to them, when you're going to approach them, what subjects you're going to cover, how you're going to follow up with them, right? And I think you've got to, there's a place for everyone at the summit, no matter what type of person you are, provided you go into it thinking how to maximize 
your experience based on your personality. You know, that said, you guys do a great job. You, you have a setup that encourages people to get out of their comfort zone, right? You guys understand it because you've lived through it. What you're doing now is saying like, you know, don't make the same mistakes we made. Allow yourselves to learn from the experiences that we've had to actually maximize. So that's a lot that I've just laid out there, but that's really kind of the gist of it. You know, like when you go to NAM or something, some event like that, Yes, you get those people that are overly calculated. Like they, it's almost like they have a script down for how they're going to talk to you and like, they have like the perfect cheese ass business card. It's not very appealing to talk to those people. They're almost punishers. So I agree with everything you said, but I also think that there's a point where people go too far and it's it has the opposite effect. It's almost repulsive. And I don't want people to do that either. Do you have any thoughts on how to avoid being that like that convention punisher type? Yeah, I mean <laughs> I will say so much of it can be seen like demoing, right? I mean, practice makes perfect. And practicing conversations with heroes, with, oh my God, you know, look, I see Joey Sturgis as a peer. He mixed some of my records and recorded some of the records that my artists did that have had a ton of success. That said, I'm still a huge fan of his, right? Like I thankfully have stumbled through the awkward ways of like meeting my heroes. But like if I was a young attendee, I could see how you meeting a Joey or meeting any of the people, you know, you bring Matt Halpern down. I mean, what a beast, you know, Matt's a guy I used to manage. He's a freaking amazing person. He is so talented in so many different ways. There is room to be excited. Don't allow us to take away from your excitement by because of our jadedness. Even though I work very hard to not be jaded, I try to flip it and be grateful for everything that I'm able to do. That said, practice. What are you going to say to somebody? What is the type of thing that you want to say? But don't get married to it, right? Because the thing you could say, okay, you know, Joey Sturgis is talking at three o'clock on the Thursday. I'm going to go up to him. And then lo and behold, Joey disappears because, you know, he gets pulled into something else or Joey gets food poisoning and he can't talk. And they've got, you know, Brian Hood in there, or just insert, you know, somebody else. Like, don't get too married to your practice. This isn't a play. This is real life. And, you know, real life takes twists and turns sometimes by the second and a lot of it is about your preparedness and just is really about your comfort and your confidence. And those things will build. And it's okay, honestly, like if you fuck up, if you say something, you know, that sure, AL thinks you're a punisher, you know, he's going to watch you throughout the weekend or throughout the next year and understand that, look, the reason we can identify it so easily is we were all there once too. You know, I wasn't as nearly as big a nerd as these guys to freaking want to turn knobs for a living. <laughs> you know, I'm much more cool than that. I'm out surfing and shit, brah. You know, but um, inevitably, you know, look, we've all put our foot gapingly in our mouth. And in some ways it's endearing, especially in a setting like that. You got to remember, it's a pretty safe setting, right? You've created this environment for people to stumble. and And within the confines, it's sort of like, you know, Whenever you're singing, uh, you know, uh, when you're dancing like nobody's watching, this is the place for that. People are watching, but they're your friends. To be honest, man, it takes a lot to punish me at the summit. It barely happened last year, and it took 
can think of one person, and it was it was almost like they were really going for the Punisher Olympic gold medal or something. Like it takes it takes a lot because I think that, like you said, it, it is without being cheesy and saying safe space or whatever. Those of us on the other side of the fence, those of us who are putting on the summit or speaking at it, we are kind of expecting the attendees to be excited or nervous or whatever. And, you know, that's okay. As opposed to something like NAM, where we actually have business interests at NAM, like we have our own careers to worry about. Usually we're not putting NAM on, we're going to NAM usually with an agenda of some sort. This coming year, URM's got a booth. It's going to be all business for me. I mean, hopefully I'll get to hang out with some friends. But that said, I'm going to have a lot less time for every individual person. I'm going to give everyone as much time as I can, but because of the nature of the event, because there is more stuff that I have to do in a short period of time, you know, the math just works out. There's less time per person. Whereas the summit is an event for that is designed exactly for the attendees to be able to talk to each other and us. And so I'm going to give them as much time as I possibly can. And so so does every other speaker that's there. And so I think it's a very, very different setup. I think that that needs to be noted because if you want to meet Blasco at NAM, good luck getting more than 30 seconds of his time, for instance. Even if you've known him for 10 years. Is Blasco coming to URM? Supposedly. Look at that. Supposedly. Won't, won't let you buy a ticket, huh? Won't give you that social security number, that birthday, baby. Oh, wait, I'm still waiting on that part. If only you knew a guy who knew a guy. Yeah, I know. Like, I'm still waiting on that info. But I mean, the, th- the reason I say him, for instance, is because, you know, so I've known him since 2007. And... I guess when my band went on OzFest, that's when I met him. And we didn't, like, become friends, but we became friendly. He was always cool to me, but, you know, he always had something going on, which to this day, he always always got something going on. Uh, somewhere around 2012, I asked him to manage my producer career because a bunch of people owed me money and I just needed help, and he did. And so we talked a lot. Um, we got a lot closer over that year, and then... Still, when I'd go to Nam, I still wouldn't get more than like five minutes with him. And I don't expect more. Uh, like, it's not like I expected him to hang out with me all night or anything like that. But I'm just saying that even somebody who I had a working relationship with, who we were cool, paying him some money, not as much as some of his other things, but for all intents and purposes, we were cool. Even in that situation, I couldn't get more than five minutes. And not because he was cold shouldering me and nothing like that. The dude is fucking busy. He's got lots of people way more important than me to talk to. And that's just how it is at something like NAM. Whereas at the uh, summit, there's gonna be a lot less people taking up his time. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, every situation is different. All of the things that people go to, I mean, whether it's NAM, whether it's URM, whether it's South by, whether, you know, I always go to a thing called launch. There's a whole bunch of different ones that are out there and, I agree. I mean, you know, it, it is, it's good to go in understanding that people are busy. They've got their own lives. They are being pulled in a hundred different directions. And it can be hard because until you've been in that position, it's almost like you can't imagine it. I remember a time when, yeah, <laughs> you know, this is a, a little bit of a different example, but, you know, I remember a time when like a booking agent called me, quote unquote, after hours, you know, and this was, 
probably 12, maybe more years ago. And I've only been managing bands 15 years, but it happened like once, you know, they called me at like nine at night and we had to make some decision on something. And I was like, man, that's kind of crazy. I mean, now I get phone calls at nine at night every day of my life. And it's not, you know, I mean, it's just like, I get phone calls all the time, right? It's just my career's in a different place. And part of it is our culture is a busier culture as a whole, but it's that, yeah, I mean, as you do more in the biz and as you have more responsibilities, your time, your free time, your time to, you know, make small talk with people, even if that's the purpose for your trip, i.e. NAM or URM, it is going to be limited. And so I guess don't take offense to that, right? Don't, oh, Blasco's a dick or Mallory's a dick or Ale's a dick or Sturgis is a dick. It's, you know, view it as man. Maybe they've got a lot going on. You don't even know. I mean, sometimes we're at these events and freaking we get a call in our personal life. Maybe I just got the phone call that I need to replace the roof, <laughs> you know, two minutes before I walked onto the stage to give my presentation. And afterwards, I'm sitting there thinking about the roof. <laughs> so I think just be cognizant that that we are humans, just like the rest of you. The empowering thing about that is the rest of the people that are coming can become us and they can even become better versions of us because they get to listen to guys like us who have, you know, fumbled and been through these experiences. They get to listen to us and hopefully, you know, take a bit away from it. I actually think that what's more important than talking to us is them talking to each other. Yes. To be perfectly honest. I think that the relationships that they form with uh, fellow attendees will most likely be what yields the most fruit for them over time. Yes. No, I mean, that's actually one of the best points um, I've ever heard you make, AL. And uh, you make great points. Finally, all the time. I made one. <laughs> Scorekeeper, please win for AL. Uh, <laughs> 15 love. Um, you know, we're proper, we're proper gentlemen. We'll, we'll, we'll keep it, we'll keep score like a tennis match. Thank you. No, I mean, I, I agree. What's interesting is, you know, I know you mentioned people moving to LA and, and doing things like that. One thing, especially as you're coming up, and, and I think this is something that you guys do and you facilitate and you foster in a really cool way. It used to be, let's take the role of booking agents assistance. So most of you probably know what a booking agent does, uh, you know, and there's many independent ones, but there's also a lot that work for the bigger firm, CAA, William Morris, United Talent, mm-hmm. you know, you go on. They all have assistants, right? And those assistants play a very vital role of, issuing contracts, making sure that communications, blah, 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 blah. You go on and on and on. And so what's interesting is if you're an assistant that's not in the hubbub, you're not in a, in a hub, you know, you're not in New York, you're not in LA, you're not in Nashville. There's a whole culture of like assistance connecting within companies, outside of companies, you name it, because they're all going to be, if they choose to stay in the industry, the next tier of actual agents. And so just like you said, URM and the summit, this is sort of the same thing. If you live in Noblesville, Indiana, and your buddy lives in Spokane, Washington, you're not in the hub in the heart of it, but the relationship that you develop, not only in person at the summit, but also as you guys, you know, go through all the courses and whatever it is that you're offering online, those are the things as you guys become the new CLAs. But inevitably, I think that's the point is there's a lot of relationships to be, to establish 
to foster and as URM goes on, and I'm sure there'll be spinoffs. I'm sure, I'm sure there's a, the next version of URM or some sister company isn't even going to be started by Joey Sturgis because at some point Joey Sturgis will have started enough companies that the U.S. you know office of a company starting people will not let him start anymore. Um, One day, <laughs> exactly. No, but I mean, you know, somebody amongst your listenership and your subscribership and your you know, whatever fellowship will have a brilliant idea and they may bring it to you or they may just start it on the side. You can bring it to us. It's cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. As a matter of fact, are we having a shark tank at, at are we having an impromptu shark tank? Cause I think I would love to be a part of that. All right. Here's another issue they're going to have. Um, this one's tough, I think, cause it's hard to know. It's hard to know what a good rhythm for this is or when you're being a creep and when you're not. But uh, so say that people come to this and they do have a great time, which they will, and they make friends, which they will. But then comes the actual work of following up and keeping it going. And, you know, and also, especially if they exchange info or whatever with some of the instructors or something, the instructor says, you know, like a Billy Decker says, uh, yeah, call me in a few weeks. Maybe I'll throw you some editing work or something. You know, whatever. Just for example. You should be calling Billy Decker just to hear his voice in my mind. I agree. I do. But do you have a strategy or a... No, I mean, like, I don't have a hard, fast rule. I, I think, you know, I think what you have to understand is, you know, after a summit like that, these guys who, I mean, especially the people who organize it and I don't, you know, I don't know exactly whose role is what, but you know, you guys have a pretty cool, big family. Like you need time. I think last year, you know, after you dropped me off at the airport, uh, you know, you went back, did a whole bunch more work for the summit. Then you went on a little vacation, like at a minimum, give the people some time a week, you know, that said, there could be some of us who I don't have a major role there. You know, I come in, I'm having a good time. You could follow up with me sooner. I mean, I, I think this one, it starts on like a Tuesday or Wednesday, ends on a Thursday or Friday. Like, no, I don't really need you hitting me up on the weekend. Actually, it starts on a Thursday and ends on a Monday. Even better. Just turns out that, uh, you know, even though you did book my flight, I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> um, and that's why I had you book it. But I think part of it, you know, you can do yourself the favor of asking the person you know hey man it was really awesome to talk to you i would love to follow up is that okay they say yes uh is there you know is there a preferred time they say a week they might not even mean a week they may have never had anybody ever ask them that question and the week is the first thing that comes out of their mouth or and they probably won't even remember they said it exactly or they may actually mean a week and then a week later something else is completely dropped in their lap that's okay and then lastly this is you know is there a preferred method and if somebody says facebook messenger i'll be in shock but that's because I'm a 44-year-old man. I don't really want to use Facebook Messenger for business. That said, I work with plenty of people who use any of the messengers as a method of communication. And I respect however the hell people want to be communicated with. So those are some simple things that you can do. It might be really hard if you catch, you know, a all coming out of the coffee line all of a sudden hey man how are you okay when do i follow up what do i do da, 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 da. allow it to to come naturally and if you don't catch those things at some point that's totally fine 
Okay, so let's just say it is a week. You hit up AL after a week. AL doesn't respond. Don't take it personally. AL could have missed it. He could have had a disaster in his life. He could have had some fantastic news that he hasn't posted on social media happen in his life. Any number of things could happen, right? I would say give it another week. Hit him up again. All of this is done politely, respectfully. Hey, man, just want to follow up here. I realize you're probably a busy guy. You know, no big deal. To me, usually the third time is the charm. That's where you kind of want to put it out there as, hey, man, this is my third time contacting you. Maybe not even that. You don't want to go at it with like a defensive, like, well, why the hell haven't you responded to me? What you want to do is just continue to use the same respectful tone. And you may say, you know, this being my third time contacting you out of professional courtesy, I won't reach out to you for, you know, another, you know, or I'm not going to reach out to you again. You've got my info, whatever it may be. I don't necessarily have these hard, fast guidelines. I just know that there's times in my life where I'll get an email. I'll even have the best intention to respond to it. Next thing you know, life happens fast. I don't get that chance. I'll get that second email. Same thing. Best intentions. Da, 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 da. By about the third email, if I haven't written back to you, the chances are I'm not going to. And it has nothing to do with your personality, has nothing to do with your business opportunity. Typically, it has to do with me and my life and my ability to understand that I might not be able to fit even a response into you. You can look at that and say, wow, Maori's an asshole. Or you can look at it to say, man, the guy's actually got a pretty good grasp on what his priorities need to be in order for him to sustain himself in this fucking crazy world called the music business. So I'm respectful of people and their ability to, you know, and and I've watched it where I've had an email sit in somebody's inbox for six months. And then I get a like, Hey man, I'm finally getting around to respond to this. You know, let's hang, you know, let's grab coffee. Let's hop on the phone because something in their life has made way where they now have the time to actually engage with me. And I respect that. Absolutely. Let me give two examples of this and why you should follow up and not get discouraged and not take it personally. Number one that comes right to mind is uh, Jens Bogren coming on Nail the Mix. I first had him on the URM podcast like two years ago or two and a half years ago. He was one of our first guests. And I had invited him on Nail the Mix pretty quickly thereafter, to which he said yes, actually. But schedule didn't work out. And so then we spent like eight months kind of going back and forth an email per month, kind of talking about it. And he was entirely positive the whole time. Then I didn't hear from him for like a year. I never sent him a what the fuck, bro. Like we were talking about this and then, then you bailed on me, man. Like nothing like that. It's just... I figured he got busy or something, like some record he was doing became all-encompassing, like the Demo record or some shit, like, you know? And then I heard back from him, lo and behold, a year later, and he was like, all right, I'm ready to schedule this. We start scheduling it, and then I don't hear from him for 10 more months. And so it was like, (laughs) I was like, all right, well, I'm going to play it the same way. There's probably some record that took up all his attention. And then finally, he gets to me, with a three paragraph long email with like a list of 10 different options we could do for Nail the Mix, ready to go. 
And we plan the whole thing out within two weeks. Boom, we do Opeth, nail the mix. One of the best ones we've ever had. We went to Sweden for it and everything. Um, another, you know, if I had taken it personally or just not responded after a while, it wouldn't have happened. Another thing is someone trying to get in touch with me recently. I just got invited by Facebook to go talk at some Facebook event about running a Facebook community, how to run one successfully. Apparently we're doing a good job or something and they noticed and it was weird, man. Uh, not something I was expecting, but the first time they hit me up, I didn't even notice. I thought it was, I thought I was getting spammed or whatever. I get so many messages that like, I kind of just saw it. You know, like when you don't click on it and you just see like the first two sentences or something. Totally. And just, you know, flew right over my head. And then like a week and a half later, they hit me up again, very politely, just following up. We'd love for you to come talk at this thing. Uh, if they hadn't followed up, man, what a bummer. I'm very excited about going to talk about this. As you should be. Where are you headed? Uh, it's here in Atlanta, but it's an official event. Uh, that's all I know. It's a it's an event that they're having. They want me to come talk to people who work for Facebook about running a community. So I'm going to go do it. But I could have easily missed it, man, just because of the volume of messages I get. If they had not followed up politely and, you know, professionally or whatever, that would have really kind of sucked. I really would have been bummed about it. Um, so by following up, you are, you know, you are also doing a good service for the other, the person on the other end that you're, if you have something valuable for them, that is, uh, you know, you're doing something good for them. They can't always keep up with every single thing that comes in. Sometimes it's just too much. So there's a lot of power in proper follow-up. Yeah. And I mean, look, I've watched people cut through. I mean, you know, I'll tell people call me or I'll tell people to text message me. I mean, it, those two things do cut through better than Facebook. That said, I mean, you know, again, like I think you and I are from a generation where, you know, I laugh. Uh, I was going to say we are from a generation where a, a call and a text is is you almost need to be on a little bit of a different level, right? You know, I think because we grew up in a time where we didn't have cell phones and then you have cell phone, it's like private thing that's now turned into our business thing because our emails attached to it or social media is attached to it, you, you name it. But like, I still to this day have a hesitancy with people that I don't have, you know, an established business relationship with or personal relationship with texting them. That said, I now know that so many people like, yeah, I mean, I get random texts from people and it, it cuts through. I don't always answer because now it's becoming a little bit different. I guess what I'm saying is like things have sort of changed where I think you got to reach people where you can get them. And, you know, I, there's of course the interesting stories of people doing certain things to catch people's attention, blah, 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 blah. But it's like, dude, in e sending an email is sort of like the easiest, almost not even lamest. It's just, even though we're saying like follow up once, follow up twice, it's still not really showing some grave effort. I mean, given aside, so, you know, we have the podcast network, Jabberjaw Media, and there's a podcast called Pure Pleasure, which is awesome. It's run by a great dude named Dewey Halpus. And Dewey, in his early stages, he wanted to interview Ian Mackay from, you know, Discord Records, Minor Threat, Fugazi. And so he called Discord. Discord's numbers published, you know, asked to speak to Ian. Ian took the call. He said, hey, there's my podcast. Maybe maybe he called, maybe he emailed. I don't really know. All I know is Ian said, hit me back in a month. 
do we did it hit me you know that was that response got to like hit me back in two months whatever the timing is it doesn't matter but essentially ian had his own way of vetting people right to see who was actually serious because that is something that you know you do you learn these tricks we all have our own tricks we all have our different tricks of how to respond and that's why there's not one easy answer for us to give you out there if you're listening i've got one yesterday you tagged me on instagram on a podcast that matt squire was on yep and i was like you know what i should invite matt squire on the podcast thanks mike mowry but i was walking my dog and i knew that if i didn't do it right then and there i'd forget and i didn't know how to get in touch with him so i sent him an instagram message I actually just reminded myself to check it because I never contact people like that. But point being that I don't feel like it was an unprofessional way to do it. It's just what I had available to me at that time. Like I didn't have time right then to look up his proper contact info or anything. Either he's going to respond or he's not going to respond. And that'll be that. But I don't think that he's going to be, I don't think that he's going to be like, well, bro, you know, follow the exact chain of command here or anything like that. You know, you just, you do what works and hopefully you've got something that they, the person on the other end is interested in. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, we could go toe to toe and have 10 million examples of things. I think our overall takeaway is do you have a plan of how to follow up my sentiment of if you do have the opportunity to meet someone in person, there's nothing wrong with asking them questions like this. Hey, Mowry, you know, I uh, really liked what you had to say, uh, you, you know, on the podcast and then I followed up with this great thing at URM. You know, I'd love to reach out to you to get some advice. Uh, what's the best time and way to do that? And understand that, like I may say, best time to do it is in two weeks. Best way to do it is via text. And lo and behold, I still don't actually respond or, you know, have the time to respond. Want to know what doesn't work, at least with me. And I don't think that this works with a lot of people. I want to say this because I feel like when you read books about networking or business books, people, you know, one a method of, I guess, persuasion or whatever that is put out there a lot is do something for somebody so that they have the natural inclination to, you know, close the loop by giving back. So ask to buy someone lunch or something. But honestly, man, if like a total stranger is like, let me buy you lunch, it's very rare that I'm going to be like, all right, let's do it. That's a big ask. Not because I don't want a free lunch or anything, but it's a big ask. That's a lot of time. I got to go somewhere. I thought it was only because you go to expensive places. That too. But it's a, it's it's just a big ask, man. Like driving through Atlanta traffic, or if I'm sometimes I'll get this when I'm out of town on a nail the mix engagement, and like we have our schedule almost always totally filled up. Like there's as even though I'd like to hang out with this person, the reality of me set breaking away, going somewhere, sitting down, ordering, you know, going through that whole thing, then going back, like. That's, it's just a huge ask for a first meeting. It really is. And what it tells me is that they're not doing the most important thing, which is putting themselves in the other person's shoes and realizing that you're talking to a human being who has shit going on that you need to be mindful of. Like they're treating you more as like a conquest or, you know, some, some box to check off. They're just not thinking it through enough. And 
I know there's some people who will be like, sure, buy me lunch. But I know more people who just won't respond to that because it's a big fucking ask to just go to lunch with a total stranger. Not saying it never happens. It's saying that's a big ask. No, I completely agree with that. I mean, I've been in that situation and it makes me think of the last, you know, when you were doing Taylor Larson's URM, you and I couldn't even hang out because I had a lot going on and you had a lot going on and the respective free times that we had didn't overlap. So here we are, two friends, you know, two business colleagues to just to paint the example of how busy you might be or how busy I might be. And for all of you listening, you know, we're not, I just want to be clear, like, on two things. One is being busy in and of itself does not necessarily mean you're being productive. I'll just put that out there. There's plenty of people that can cover that, right? Um, the other thing is, and, and I fall victim to this every once in a while, I think, you know, no matter what you do, you need to have some sort of gauge as to how is your time being spent and how is your, how are you measuring what the effectiveness is for your time? And so different people have different ways of measuring. Money is not the only way to measure. In fact, you know, one of the great things that Blasco said and one of our you know episodes of Managemental was he measures certain you know, uh, progress or whatever it is by musical output, right? Like Mm -hmm. quality musical output. He's not putting stuff out, you know, just to fucking put it out, you know? And, and so, yeah, if you're, you know, I'm in LA right now, I could do five meetings a day, five days a week, and probably do that for the 52 weeks that are in a year. Of course, understanding that there's, there's plenty of Uh, people who won't work over certain holidays, myself included, but like, you know, I could do so much of that, you know, and it's not a bragging point. It's that there are a lot of people doing a lot of great things in this business. And because I've got experience, I now have relationships with many of them. You know, I'm getting text messages even throughout this podcast of like, Hey, you know, you're in town this week. Here's a guy I want you to, to introduce you to. I have to be careful for myself to not just say yes, because every minute that I'm out there doing that, being busy, potentially opening a door, is time I'm not spending on making sure my house is in order, my business affairs are in order, I'm tending to the crops that I have already invested in. And so, you know, I just think, whatever, I'm sure many of your listeners are are cognizant of that, but don't think just because you're busy means that you are necessarily effective and you get to determine by what standard you measure your effectiveness mine has play you know mine has um you know changed over the years sometimes it is the number of things that i can measure uh, as a productive output i'm not a musician you know but tours i put together deals i've signed whatever sometimes it's money sometimes it's something else but inevitably there's so many times that it's like oh my god i'm so busy what the fuck am I busy with? Am I busy with things that are actually moving the needle or am I busy with things just so I can say to myself that I'm busy? Very good question. I totally agree. Yeah. And I mean, you have to figure that out and how to answer it on your own. I can't answer that for you, right? Me, money is not the prime motivator, good or bad, you know, take it for what it is. That said, I have to have money to survive. Um, unless you're the guy buying me lunch and you're buying it for me every single day. And I also need breakfast and dinner and a roof over my head and a car to drive. So as you can see, things are adding up quite quickly to indicate that I do need money. But I, you know, I operate under the pretense that if I do good work and I do it for great people and I can deliver results, the money provided that I pay some attention to it is going to follow. 
that said, if money is what you want, you know, use that as your measurement. That's totally okay with me. But either way, no matter which one it is, I think it's really, really important to realize that anyone you're talking to who has established themselves to some degree places a lot of value on their time, some more than others, but everyone does. And so to ask that, even if you're giving them something of monetary value, that may not that may not be enough. Like you're saying, money might not be the you know, the measure of something. So offering somebody to buy them lunch, it's like, dude, I don't need you to buy me lunch. I'm doing all right. Like let's let's get to what let's get to the heart of the matter. Like what are we actually what would we actually be meeting for? Totally. No, I think that that's smart. I mean, again, it's, it is, it's about having a specific ask and, you know, understanding that if that ask, you know, isn't uh, something that, you know, the recipient is interested in. Yeah. Be respectful. Understand that, you know, it'll come back around or at least it can come back around. Mr. Maori, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Dude, it's an honor and a pleasure. I love what you guys are doing. I love that you include me in uh, certain aspects of it. I love the community that you've created. I watch it as much as I can. I'm not a mixer. That said, I'm involved with plenty of artists and you know we have producer conversations, mixing conversations, mastering conversations. And I just think like we're moving towards this place where you know, uh, being educated, being, and being experienced is the way that you're going to stand out to be able to put yourself in a position that allows you to build those relationships. You know, one thing that we didn't say that I did think of at the top of the hour or the top of the podcast was relationships are everything, right? That said, it's also how you fulfill whatever the portion of the equation that you bring to the table in any given relationship, right? Ale and I have known each other for a long time at this point. That said, the reason that we're on this podcast together, the reason that we still engage with one another is he shows up when I ask him to, even when I don't ask him to. I show up when he asks me to, even when he he doesn't ask me to. We do the things we say we're going to do. We do them to a certain level of professionalism that the other one respects, right? The people that are just in this for the relationships or aren't able to actually provide value in a scenario where they have a relationship, they are weeded out very quickly. Very, very quickly, actually. Once again, you know, thanks to you and, and your crew for giving me this opportunity and yeah, rock on. Yeah. We'll see you in, you'll see me in the pit, bro. Oh yes. Yeah. Right. I've never been in a pit once in my life. <laughs> hey man, if it's anything like last year, uh, there'll be a rap, a rap battle, especially after this MGK. I don't even stuff. know what you're talking about. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, thanks dude. All right. Thank you. Peace. This episode of the unstoppable recording machine podcast has been brought to you by Telefunken electroacoustic Telefunken electroacoustic has been following the tradition of excellence and innovation set forth by the original Telefunken GmbH of Germany that began over 100 years ago with one foot rooted in the rich history of the brand and the other in new microphone innovations for both stage and studio applications Telefunken electroacoustic is recognized as one of the industry leaders in top quality microphones. For more info, go to tfunk.com. 
This episode was also brought to you by Fascination Street Mastering Studios. Have your songs mastered by Jens Bogrian and Tony Lindgren, the engineers that mastered bands like Opeth, Dimu Borgir, Arch Enemy, Creator, Sepultura, Amana Marth, and many more by using the coupon code URM18 in the online mastering configurator. You'll receive a 15% discount on your order. The code is valid for the rest of the year. Visit www.fascinationstreet.se to learn more and book your mastering session today. If you like the Unstoppable Recording Machine podcast, make sure you leave us a review, subscribe, and send us a message if you want to get in touch.